Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Let us pray. Spirit of God, we breathe. We breathe deeply. We center ourselves. We open ourselves. We seek a oneness that sustains and grounds us for the living of our days. May we hear the right word in this reflection, and may it be enough. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God. Amen. In my last congregation, there was a woman who on the very last Sunday of Epiphany would go out the door of the church and she, she would say to me, see you at Easter, I don't do Lent. There's lots of us who maybe are like that, kind of like what Jesse said a few moments ago, I don't do Lent. But as the Green Day song reminds us, there's this call deep within us to want to avoid, to wake me up when September comes, to wake me up when COVID's over, to wake me up when the war is over, to wake me up when Lent ends. And I got to admit, I get it. There's lots of me who would rather just wake me up at Easter. There's part of us, I think, in each one of us that really doesn't want to go to the dark place, to really explore and sit in our stuff to really wonder who we are and whose we are, to really wrestle with the dark side of who we are. And the tendency to say, wake me up when it's over, is a very human response to Lent. I mean, really, think about it. Last Wednesday, last Wednesday, we were feeling like COVID's over. We were about to rip the mask off. We were about to dump out the sanitizer. We were about to run next door and give a high five to our neighbor. We were about to go to a pub and celebrate that COVID was over. And we woke up Thursday morning, Thursday morning shocked to see tanks, shocked to read about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And there's part of us that's going, no, wake me up when this is over. Because there's a part of this Lenten journey that, that calls us really to have both eyes open, to put on our, our bifocals and look closely at who we are and who we are as a human species in the world on this planet. And part of that is to look at where we've been and who wants to look back at the Lentiest of Lents. Last year we didn't meet because of COVID and here we are. COVID has been a time of loss, of corporate grief for all of us, whether it's loss of life or relationship or employment. There's an overarching sense of grief. And then if we don't go there and we, we move into the movement of Black Lives Matter or the, the trial of the murderers of Ahmed Aubrey, and we see the, the blatant racism that runs down and chases a man and kills him in the street, an innocent black man, or we remember the summer in June, it was a beautiful spring evening when a, when a Muslim family are, are run over by a car because they are Muslim in the calm streets of London, Ontario. Or whether it is again the discovery this past week of yet more graves hidden and discovered in northern Alberta. 
or whether it is, again, the news of the coming summer of more fires and more floods. The weight of all of this says, wake me up when this is over, please. I'm just not into Lent anymore. Can we just get to that Easter bunny, please? Could we just not, could we just put the covers over and watch one more series of I Love Lucy or The Friends or I don't care what it is, anything that takes you away from reality is how we feel right now. And yet, if you're watching this video today, you know that as a person of faith, we journey in the seasons of the Christian year, and it is Lent, and the call is to Lent. It's not a call to guilt. It's not a call to shame. It's not a, a call to just feeling rotten about yourself. It's actually a real look at the truth of ourselves. A friend of mine who's a minister and the island in Victoria was telling me that he remembers coming to his very first Lent Sunday. And they had a ritual in that church of washing their hands. And, and he thought to himself, ah, oh, it's been a pretty good year. And then he paused and he looked at his hands. And as he washed his hands, he said to himself, these have been very dirty hands. And he said there was something about that washing and looking and cleansing that got him in touch with who he had been and in the wiping of a towel, the invitation to start anew. You see, and Lent invites us to that kind of honesty, that kind of reset, that kind of stepping forward into the future. But first, we must look in the mirror at ourselves, our truest selves. We all say, I want to escape Lent, but... Jesus didn't get to, so why should we? If Jesus didn't get to escape Lent, why should we? You know, the truth of this Lenten season is there's a link, as I said a few moments ago in the Hebrew story, the 40 years wandering in the wilderness was a time of disturbment and grumbling and complaining as Moses led the people and then the second Moses, Jesus, the 40 days in the wilderness that Andrea read about a few moments ago, is that him, Jesus, looking in the mirror at the power that he had, who he would be, who he would become, how he would be tested and tempted, just like we all are those 40 days. And then, as I'm a bit curious, the 40 days of gestation leading to birth, there's something about 40 biblically and in our life that is about that kind of liminal preparation. I mean, heck, Jesus was still at the baptismal party. They were taking pictures. It was a huge feast. It was a great party. When if you heard this text, Jesus is driven, drove to the wilderness by the Spirit, by God, driven in. To the wilderness, to be in that wilderness place, just like we are in that wilderness place. Just like we step into Lent to look at our hands, our minds, our hearts, our feet, our bodies, with a loving, real, true look at who we are, to experience our shadow, our dark side, our experiences that become our very teacher. When I thought about this, I thought about the beautiful poem by Rumi called Welcome, the Guest House. This guest house poem, which we're going to hear right now, 
reminds us that we're called to, to welcome all of the emotions as a gift from beyond. I invite us to see this video now. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if there are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Rumi was a Sufi Persian poet in the year 1207, that beautiful wisdom, 1207. He invites us in this beautiful poem to welcome all. Several hundred years later, Richard Rohr would say, everything belongs. This poem reminds us to welcome all, calls all of our feelings, the joys and the sorrows as guests from beyond in our journey. Truth is, we're not very good at welcoming. We're not very good at looking at the difficult, the challenging, and the dark side of our life. And yet I wonder, I wonder if they could actually be our teacher I've been reading a good book these days, and I'm not done, called Healing Through the Dark Emotions, Emotions, The Wisdom, get that, The Wisdom of Grief, Fear, and Despair by Miriam Greenspan. She says these emotions are energies, and they are our teacher. And when we welcome them, when we entertain them as part of our life, they become our healing as we journey. But she begins the book by saying, we're just not good at that. We would rather wait till September comes. We would rather avoid. We would rather addict. We would rather numb. We would rather skirt aside all the difficult emotions and just stay with the happy, clappy part of life. But God Almighty, that is tiring. The invitation in this book is actually to entertain, like Rumi says, these as guests on our journey but we're just not good at it. We just like to brush over it. I remember in the 80s when my younger brother, my older brother who was uh, 27 died suddenly. Married in June, died in September. I was out doing the gardening on the front lawn of the house and the neighbor came over because they had heard of what happened. And, and he meant well, but he said this to me, how many kids in the family? And I said, well, there are four of us. And he immediately replied, oh, that's fine. Your parents will get over this easily. Isn't that the truth? We try to rationalize and brush over and make things that are very difficult easy. And Greenspan is inviting us to sit in our shift, to pay attention, heart and mind, to who we are and where we're at. And she says in her book that we're called to a deep dive into the grief, fear, and despair we all have. And if there's somebody here who doesn't have grief, fear, and despair, please come see me. 
In the book, she has three quick things she says. We need, first of all, to attend, to attend and welcome, as Rumi says, the emotions and the energies into our body and to pay attention to them, not with our mind, but with our body. And in our body, attend to the feelings we have. Where are they located? How do we breathe into them and welcome them, not shove them away? And then she says we have to befriend them. We have to welcome them as, as a gift who's going to encourage us and teach us and help us see the beauty that we are, even from these dark places. She says it's a combination of attention and compassion to be curious, to investigate, to look at our very shadow. I have a friend named John, and he, he, he typifies this when he told me this story that that sometimes when he goes into a party, he comes up to somebody and extends his hand and he says, hi, my name's John, I had an affair. He says the reaction sometimes from some is like, and they want to slip away. He says occasionally he meets someone who puts out their hand and says, hi, John, me too. And he says, from that place, the conversation gets real and deep and honest as all the shift falls away and there's a one-to-one -one connection and a same shared experience. In her book, she says that a good listener in your life, I hope you have one, at least one, a good listener in your life is more important than food. In John's example, he says, I want people to know that I'm real that I bring who I am to that room. Even my shadow, even my dark side, even the parts you would push and judge and complain about, I bring them in so that we can enter into a me too experience. There's a lightness that comes in befriending these dark emotions. It leads to the third thing that Greenspan said, it's called surrender. It is in that place that we surrender, we say yes, when we want to say no. We step in when we want to step out and we learn to love and nurture ourselves, all of us, all that we have been and all that we will be and all that we are in that very simple, safe place of nurturing ourselves, of surrendering. And we know surrendering. I mean, Jesus did it, did he not? When he heard that the cross was coming, did he not gather his disciples together and say to God, if there's any way out of this, now's the time to zip me up and I'll move to a condo by the Sea of Galilee. And in that silence, in that quiet, Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done and then went to the cross, and of course went to the cross, and nailed to the cross, calls out like you and I have called on my, out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the anger and shock and frustration of three years of hard work here on a cross, Jesus surrenders, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he surrenders and trusts. You see, this attend, befriend, and surrender is your journey and mine if we're paying attention. It welcomes our grief, our fear, and our despair as our friends. And those friends are transformed in the alchemy of transformation or transfiguration from Andrea last week. 
to a realness and an honesty about who we are, not a pretending or a rushing or running. There's a vulnerability to all of this that says, me too, and connects us one to another. It's a time to breathe. It's a time to dig deep. It's a time to walk in a Lenten journey, not run and hide and wait for it to be over. This past week, as I was typing away my sermon, uh, an email popped up from a theologian named Peter Rollins. He's about a religionless religion. Yes, a religionless religion. We've had him actually here as a teacher in our church. He's someone who likes to be on the edge exploring life. And in his perspective, in his way of looking at the world, he said it's not about engaging in particular beliefs about the world, but exploring the world and the beliefs that emerge from the world. There's a realness and a realness that leads to oneness in his exploration. I clicked on the five-minute video. This five-minute video is from a book by Elie Wiesel. Elie Wiesel is a survivor of the Auschwitz terror. He died in 2016. He was a peace, he received the Peace Prize, the Nobel Peace Prize. He wrote 57 books, one of them of which is called Night. I read it in the 80s when it just came out as he explores and tells the story of what happened in the Holocaust. This is a PG-13 piece. This is not a happy bunny piece. This is a piece that looks at the realness and the horror and the difficulty and the sadness and the sin, I will say, of the human story when you see what humans did to each other in Auschwitz. But I want us to listen as Peter Rollins reads part of this book to you and to I as we hear the story of what he sees one day when they are in the death camps. Because the question is posed, which Lent poses, where is God? I invite you to this five-minute video. One day, as we returned from work, we saw three gallons, three black ravens, erected on the apple plots. It was roll call. The SS surrounding us, machine guns aimed at us. The usual ritual. Three prisoners in chains, and among them, the little papel, the sad-eyed angel. The SS seemed more preoccupied, more worried than usual. To hang a child in front of thousands of onlookers was not a small matter. The head of the camp read the verdict. All eyes were on the child. He was pale, almost calm, but he was biting his lips as he stood in the shadow of the gallows. This time, 
the commander of the camp refused to act as executioner. Three SS took his place. The three condemned prisoners together stepped onto the chairs. In unison, the nooses were placed around their necks. Long live liberty, shouted the two men. But the boy was silent. Where is merciful God now? Where is he? Someone behind me was asking. At the signal, the three chairs were tipped over. Total silence in the camp. On the horizon, the sun was setting. Caps off, screamed the camp functionary, but his voice quivered. As for the rest of us, we were weeping. Cover your heads. Then came the march past the victims. The two men were no longer alive. Their tongues were hanging out, swollen and bluish. But the third rope was still moving. The child, too light, was still breathing. And so he remained for more than half an hour, lingering between life and death, writhing before our eyes. And we were forced to look at him at close range. He was still alive when I passed him. His tongue was still red, his eyes not yet extinguished. Behind me, I heard the same man asking, for God's sake, where is God? And from within me, I heard a voice answer, where is he? This is where, hanging here from the gallows. Harsh, raw, truth in a story, night. Ali Weisel says, where is God? He answers the question, where is God? And from in his soul, he says, God is here hanging in the gallows.
For us, God is on the cross. God is in the innocent gunned down in the streets of Kiev. God is in the huddled bodies in a bomb shelter. God is in the shuffle of feet in hospital hallways. God is in the church and the temple and the sanctuary. God is there. God is in the rooms of our house. God is in your very body. God is in our brokenness, in our rage, in our tears, in our fears, in our griefs, in our wilderness, in our Lenten journey. That's where God is. Last night was Ash Wednesday, the start of the Lenten journey. And the church was candlelit last night and people were invited to come between 7 and 7.30 to receive the mark of the ashes on their forehead. And people came in quietly and received the ashes on their forehead and a prayer on their head or their shoulder. And it was a beautiful, peaceful evening. At the end of the evening, Anne and Andrea and I stood right before you here and we marked each other with the ashes, saying, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. We come from the ground and we return to the ground and nothing can separate us from God's love. And as we marched, each and every one of us, we prayed for the reality and the truth of those words. We come from the ground, we return to the ground and nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from God's love. At the end of the evening, I had called earlier to a family in the community where someone was literally in their last days of life. And I asked, could I come over and offer ashes? And they agreed. So I gathered up the ashes in a bowl and put them on the foot of my floor in my car and drove to the house and I went in they were actually preparing pictures for the funeral that will happen in days to come. I made my way upstairs and his partner, his wife came and the two daughters came and we, we stood around the bed as he lay in the bed. And, and I remembered as I looked at him that he had said to me, he'd said to me, I'm not an optimist or a pessimist, I'm a realist. And Lent matters to me. He said, they sometimes call me doom and gloom, but I'm not doom and gloom, I'm a realist. And as I placed the ashes on his forehead and said, we come from the ground, we return to the ground, and nothing can separate us from God's love. We give thanks for your life and all you have been and all you will be as we let you be born anew into the mystery of life beyond death. We moved around the room and marked each and every other person in the room with simple ashes, simple reminder of the reality of life and death and the hope of new life. And there's never been in my ministry a closer marking of ashes to someone who is so very close to the reality of death. 
not a pessimist, not an optimist, but a realist. Lent invites us to that reality, to the realness of life. It invites us to welcome all emotions as gifts from beyond. And in all of it, we trust that we are loved, forgiven, and set free. May we dare to believe that good news and live each and every moment we have to the fullest. That's why we do Lent. May you and I be awake as we journey. Amen. invite you now to our blessing. And our blessing is this. Some of you, many of you, couldn't be here last night. And that's okay. You were where you needed to be. But as we step out and step into this Lenten journey, I'm going to invite you right now, wherever you are, to take your thumb. Everybody in this room, take your thumb. And I hope during this Lenten journey at different times, whether it's in the night or the morning, when you see something gray or you're scared to death, you take it and you mark your forehead with the cross. And in the marking of that cross, you say these words, we come from the ground, we return to the ground and nothing can separate us from God's love. And in that marking over these days, may you be held, loved, forgiven, and set free. This is real. You are real. You are enough. We are enough. Thanks be to God in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Mother of us all. Amen.